Hello everybody and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast episode number 214. Today's big Bible question is, what is the cup of God's wrath and who ultimately drank it? So hello friends and family and happy Wednesday to you. Today we're talking about a topic that should make us shudder at first and then make us celebrate. Our readings for the day are less than normal. Because on Sunday night, I read one chapter ahead in Judges, which leaves us Jeremiah 25, Acts 16, and Mark 11 to read on today's episode. Our focus passage is from Jeremiah chapter 25, and it's a hard and not very hopeful passage viewed in and of itself. However, viewed from our perspective, post-crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, It is a most beautiful and sobering passage. In this chapter, we will hear about the terrifying cup of God's wrath. Normally, we're not terribly afraid of cups, right? But this is a metaphorical cup, and it is God's cup, and it is filled with the righteous anger and the punishment of God that is due for all of the sins of humanity uh, in the past and in the future and in the present of when Jeremiah 25 was written. Because God is fully just and fully holy, like perfectly just and perfectly holy, all sin must be accounted for. Nothing at all can be overlooked by a purely holy and a pure God. Uh, Imagine somebody who's perfect with numbers counting out a cash register. Not a penny can be overlooked if you want the exact right count. And God is a just judge, perfectly just, nothing can be overlooked. And we read in Psalm 75, God is the judge. He brings down one and exalts another. For there is a cup in the Lord's hand, full of wine blended with spices, and he pours from it. All the wicked of the earth will drink, draining it to the dregs. That's Psalm 75, 7 through 8. So let's go read our passage and ponder a little bit the terrifying idea that God sees all sins and that all sins must be punished and accounted for by a holy and perfect God. Now don't get too depressed by that prospect because we're about to see some incredible hope. But to understand how incredible that hope is, we have to see how terrible the judgment against us was. Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 1. This is the word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, which was the first year of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. The prophet Jeremiah spoke concerning all the people of Judah and all the residents of Jerusalem as follows. From the thirteenth year of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, until this very day, twenty-three years, The word of the Lord has come to me, and I have spoken to you time and time again, but you have not obeyed. The Lord sent all his servants, the prophets, to you time and time again, but you have not obeyed or even paid attention. He announced, Turn, each of you, from your evil way of life and from your evil deeds. Live in the land the Lord gave to you and your ancestors long ago and forever. Do not follow other gods to serve them and to bow and worship to them, and do not anger me by the work of your hands. There I will do you no harm. Then I will do you no harm. But you've not obeyed me. This is the Lord's declaration. With the result that you've angered me by the work of your hands and brought disaster on yourselves. Therefore, this is what the Lord of armies says. Because you have not obeyed my words, I am going to send for all the families of the north. This is the Lord's declaration. And send for my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. And I will bring them against this land, against its residents, and against all these surrounding nations. And I will completely destroy them 
and make them an example of horror and scorn and ruins forever. I will eliminate the sound of joy and gladness from them, the voice of the groom and the bride, the sound of the millstones and the light of the lamp. This whole land will become a desolate ruin, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon for seventy years. When the seventy years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, this is the Lord's declaration, the land of the Chaldeans for their iniquity, and I will make it a ruin forever. I will bring on that land all my words I have spoken against it, all that is written in this book that Jeremiah prophesied against all the nations. For many nations and great kings will enslave them, and I will repay them according to their deeds and the work of their hands. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me. Take this cup of the wine of wrath from my hand and make all the nations to whom I am sending you drink from it. They will drink, stagger, and go out of their minds because of the sword I am sending among them. So I took the cup from the Lord's hand and made all the nations to whom the Lord sent me drink from it. Jerusalem and other cities of Judah, its kings and officials, to make them a desolate ruin, an example for scorn and cursing as it is today. Pharaoh, king of Egypt, his officers, his leaders, all his people, and all the mixed people, all the kings of the land of Uz, all the kings of the land of the Philistines, Ashkelon, Gaza, Ekron, and the remnant of Ashdod, Edom, Moab, and the Ammonites, all the kings of Tyre, all the kings of Sidon, and the kings of the coasts and islands, Dedan, Tima, Booz, and all those who clip their hair on their temples, and all the kings of Arabia, and all the kings of the mixed peoples who have settled in the deserts, all the kings of Zimri, and the kings of Elam, and all the kings of Medea, all the kings of the north, both near and far from one another, that is, all the kingdoms of the world throughout the earth. Finally, the king of Shishak will drink after them. Then you are to say to them, This is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says, Drink, get drunk, and vomit. Fall down and never get up again as a result of the sword I am sending among you. If they refuse to accept the cup from your hand and drink, you are to say to them, This is what the Lord of armies says. You must drink, for I am already bringing disaster on the city that bears my name, so how could you possibly go unpunished? You will not go unpunished, for I am summoning a sword against all the inhabitants of the earth. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. As for you, you are to prophesy all these things to them and say to them, The Lord roars from on high. He makes his voice heard from his holy dwelling. He roars loudly over his grazing land. He calls out with a shout like those who tread grapes against all the inhabitants of the earth. The tumult reaches to the ends of the earth because the Lord brings a case against the nations. He enters into judgment with all humanity. As for the wicked, he hands them over to the sword. This is the Lord's declaration. This is what the Lord of Armies says. Pay attention. Disaster spreads from nation to nation. A huge storm is stirred up from the ends of the earth. Those slain by the Lord on that day will be scattered from one end of the earth to the other. They will not be mourned, gathered, or buried. They will be like manure on the soil surface. Wail, you shepherds, and cry out. Roll in the dust, you leaders of the flock, because the days of your slaughter have come. You will fall and become shattered like a precious vase. Flight will be impossible for the shepherds and escape for the leaders of the flock. Hear the sound of the shepherds cry, the the wail of the leaders of the flock, for the Lord is destroying their pasture. Peaceful grazing land will become lifeless because of the Lord's burning anger. He has left his den like a lion, for their land has become a desolation because of the sword of the oppressor, because of his burning anger. Ouch. So that is not the most hopeful passage in the world, right? It's downright horrifying. In fact, it's so terrifying that the mightiest and most 
awesome being that ever walked the face of this earth was brought to tears of blood just thinking about how terrible drinking the cup of the wrath of God to its dregs was going to be. We read about this in Luke twenty-two forty-one through 45 where it says, Then Jesus withdrew from his disciples about a stone's throw, knelt down, and began to pray, Father, if you are willing, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. Being in anguish, he prayed more fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he got up from prayer and came to the disciples, he found them sleeping, exhausted from grief. Now, isn't it a strange expression that Jesus prays in verse 42, take this cup away? As far as I know, this was not a metaphoric praise that was used in the first century to refer to a difficult time. For instance, to my knowledge, we have nobody who was facing something horrible, a big test or a battle against a superior army, a surgery without anesthesia or whatever, that compared that bad thing to a cup. The cup here doesn't refer to simply a generic trial or difficulty. It refers to a very specific cup. That is the cup of Jeremiah 25 and Psalm 75. It refers to the cup of the wrath of God or the punishment that was due all of humanity for all of its sins. This is what Isaiah spoke of in in chapter 53. Isaiah 53, this is the good news of Jesus, that Jesus took upon himself our punishment so that we could be righteous in the eyes of God. Now here, hundreds of years before Jesus was born, is the passage that describes why he was going to be born, what he did for us, and the glorious good news of that. This is Isaiah 53, beginning in verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him, yet he himself bore our sicknesses and he carried our pains, but we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, cursed, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We have all turned to our own way and the Lord punished him for the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter and like a sheep silent before her shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was taken away because of oppression and judgment. And who considered his fate? For he was cut off from the land of living. He was struck because of my people's rebellion. He was assigned a grave with the wicked, but he was with a rich man at his death because he had done no violence and had not spoken deceitfully. Yet the Lord was pleased to crush him severely. When you make him a guilt offering, he will see his seed. He will prolong his days, and by his hand, the Lord's pleasure will be accomplished. After his anguish, he will see light and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will carry their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him the many as a portion, and he will receive the mighty as spoil, because he willingly submitted to death and was counted among the rebels, yet he bore the sin of many and interceded for those rebels. Wow, that is such a powerful passage. Again and again and again and again, Isaiah says, the punishment that brought us peace was on him. He bore our sins. He bore the punishment. The iniquity payment that was due the rebels was put on him. He was crushed by God for our sake. This is what it means when it talks about Jesus drinking the cup of wrath. This is why he was 
so concerned about that cup in the garden. Take this cup from me, not because he wasn't willing to save us, but because he knew how horrifying and how horrible it was going to be for him, even though he was an infinite God, he was going to have to pay a near infinite price for the sins of billions of humans. What a terrifying prospect. Now, there's an old hymn found in the hymn book used by Charles Spurgeon's church. I've never sang it before, but I love the words. And it says this, it's called the cup of wrath. Once it was mine, the cup of wrath, but Jesus drank it dry. When on the cursed tree transfixed, he breathed the expiring sigh. No tongue can tell the wrath he bore, the wrath so due to me. Sin's just desert, he bore it all to set the sinner free. Now not a single drop remains, tis finished was his cry. By one effectual drought he drank the cup of wrath quite dry. Oh my gosh, that's so powerful. I wish I knew how to sing that, but don't worry, I wouldn't sing it for you because that might be terrible too. Here's another one in Spurgeon's old hymn book. I actually have a copy of it. In fact, one is struck going through that thing by how many hymns in the Metropolitan Tabernacles book of hymns refer to Jesus drinking the cup of wrath of God for us and how so few modern hymns in modern worship songs sing of this glorious truth. That's a lack in our understanding and in our modern worship, man. We should practically be singing about this blessed truth every single Sunday because it is the core of the gospel. I have sinned. I should pay the price for my sins, every single one of them. Have I paid a price for some of my sins? Yes, but 99% of them, I've gotten away and not paid the price for them. And what happens to that 99%? Who's going to pay it? If I had to pay it, it would kill me a hundred times over. Thanks be to God that Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. This is the gospel. Here's another hymn. It's called For Me. The Son of God in mighty love came down to Bethlehem for me, forsook his throne of light above, an infant upon earth to be. In love the father's sinless child sojourned at Nazareth for me, with sinners dwelt the undefiled, the Holy One in Galilee. Jesus, whom angel hosts adore, became a man of griefs for me, in love, though rich, becoming poor, that I through him enriched might be. Though Lord of all, above, below, he went to Olivet for me, he drank my cup of wrath and woe and bled in dark Gethsemane. The ever-blessed Son of God went up to Calvary for me. There paid my debt, there bore my load in his own body on the tree. Jesus, whose dwelling is the skies, went down into the grave for me. There overcame my enemies, there won the glorious victory. Hallelujah, man, that's so good. I like modern songs, don't get me wrong, but man, there's not a lot of modern Worship songs that are like those two. What a wonderful truth. J. Oswald Sanders said, Jesus drank a cup of wrath without mercy that we might drink a cup of mercy without wrath. Oh, that's so good. Well, speaking of Spurgeon, let us close with some encouraging and powerful words of his to celebrate the drinking of this awful cup of the wrath of God. And Spurgeon says this, Jesus is led forth to Calvary, which is the name of the place where he was crucified. He is nailed to the cross by cruel and wicked hands. The rude rabble jeer at his sufferings. Within his soul there is an agony such as we cannot fathom. Above there are the swelling waves of almighty wrath against our sins, covering all his soul. Hark, that dreadful soul-piercing cry, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It seems to be the gathering up of all his griefs, sorrows, and sufferings into one expression. 
like some enormous lake which receives the torrents of a thousand rivers and holds them all within its banks, so does that sentence seem to grasp all his woes and express them all. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? At last he bows his head and yields up his spirit. At one tremendous drink of love, the Lord has drained destruction dry for all his people. He has suffered all that they ought to have suffered. He has given to the justice of God a full recompense for all of our sins. He was on our behalf presented a complete atonement into the utmost coin paid whatever his people owed. What joy it is, believer, to think that you have such a perfect atonement to rest upon. If there were one sin Christ did not suffer for on the cross or one evil thought of one of his people that he did not bear, we could not be saved. But he has finished the whole of his people's transgression. He has made an end of all their sins. He has obeyed all of the jots and the tittles, as well as the great and weighty things of the law of God. He has magnified it and made it honorable. He has gone to the end of the law for righteousness, not halfway, but all the way, not near to its boundary, but even to its very end. He has not merely sipped from the cup of wrath, not merely tasted a portion of its bitter drought, but he has drained it to the very bottom. Before he died, he turned the cup of wrath bottom upwards, for he had taken all it contained, and when he saw that there was not a single black drop trembling on its brim, he exclaimed with a loud voice of triumph, It is finished. He had drunk the whole. Glory in this, ye living people of the living Christ. He has offered for you a complete sacrifice acceptable unto his Father. Glory in this, you chosen people of the living God, that Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Amen. Bless the Lord. He drank the cup for you and me. Savor that truth, dear friends, and rejoice in it. We will continue with Mark chapter 11, verse 1. We find Jesus in the triumphal entry on the way to drinking the cup. When they approached Jerusalem at Bethphage and Bethany near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and told them, Go into the village ahead of you. As soon as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord needs it and will send it back here right away. So they went and found a colt outside in the street tied by a door. They untied it and some of those standing there said to him, What are you doing untying the colt? They answered them just as Jesus had said, so they let them go. They brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their clothes on the road, and others spread leafy branches cut from the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. He went into Jerusalem and into the temple. After looking around at everything since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The next day, When they went out from Bethany, he was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree with leaves, he went to find out if there was anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. He said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. They came to Jerusalem, and he went into the temple and began to throw out those buying and selling. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves, and would not permit anyone to carry goods through the temple. He was teaching them, It is not Is it not written, 
My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. The chief priests and the scribes heard it and started looking for a way to kill him, for they were afraid of him because the whole crowd was astonished by his teaching. Whenever evening came, they would go out of the city. Early in the morning, as they were passing by, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots up. Then Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed is withered. Jesus replied to them, Have faith in God. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, Be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, everything you pray and ask for, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven will also forgive you your wrongdoing. They came again to Jerusalem as he was walking in the temple. The chief priests, the scribes, and the elders came and asked him, By what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority to do these things? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question, then answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was John's baptism from heaven or of human origin? Answer me. They discussed it among themselves. If we say from heaven, he will say, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, they were afraid of the crowd, because everything that Everyone thought that John was truly a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We don't know. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Acts chapter 16 verse 1, Paul went on to Derbe and Lystra, where there was a disciple named Timothy, the son of a believing Jewish woman, but his father was a Greek. The brothers and sisters at Lystra and Iconium spoke highly of him, and Paul wanted Timothy to go with him. So he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, since they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled through the towns, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem for the people to observe. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. They had been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. When they came to Mycenae, they traveled, tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Passing by Mycenae, they went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision in which a Macedonian man was standing and pleading with him, Cross over to Macedonia and help us. After he had seen the vision, we immediately made efforts to set out for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, the next day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, a Roman colony in a leading city of the district of Macedonia. We stayed in that city for several days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the city gate by the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to the woman gathered there a God-fearing woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, was listening. The Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying. After she and her household were baptized, she urged us, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Once, as we were on our way to prayer, a slave girl met us who had had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She made a large profit for her owners by fortune-telling As she followed Paul and us, she cried out, These men who are proclaiming to you a way of salvation are the servants of the Most High God. She did this for many days. Paul was greatly annoyed. Turning to the Spirit, he said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out right away. When her owners realized that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. Bringing them before the chief magistrates, they said, These men are seriously disturbing our city. 
They are Jews and are promoting customs that are not legal for us as Romans to adopt or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against them, and the chief magistrates stripped off their clothes and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they had severely flogged them, they threw them in jail, ordering the jailer to guard them carefully. Receiving such an order, he put them into the inner prison and secured their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundation of the jail was shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains came loose. When the jailer woke up and saw the doors of the prison standing open, he drew his sword and was going to kill himself since he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul called out in a loud voice, Don't harm yourself, because we're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. He escorted them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him along with everyone in his house. He took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. Right away he and all his family were baptized. He brought them into his house, set a meal before them, and rejoiced because he had come to believe in God with his entire household. When daylight came, the chief magistrate sent the police to say, Release those men. The jailer reported these words to Paul. The magistrates have sent orders for you to be released, so come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They beat us in public without a trial, although we are Roman citizens and throw us in jail. And now they are going to send us away secretly? Certainly not. On the contrary, let them come themselves and escort us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, And they were afraid when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. So they came to appease them, and escorting them from prison, they urged them to leave town. After leaving the jail, they came to Lydia's house, where they saw and encouraged the brothers and sisters, and departed. Amen. Friends, may the Lord bless you and keep you safe. May his face shine upon you and encourage you, especially those of you who are right now low and anxious and worried. He is near. He is for you. He is not against you because of the blood of Jesus. May his love bloom and blossom in your hearts and may his peace explode in your mind today. May his hand protect you. Godspeed.